Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I love being out here and seeing familiar faces. I also love seeing some new ones. So I uh, hope that you enjoy this morning. If you're joining us for our Tough Questions series, I welcome you. And I want to remind you about what, wanting, what we're wanting to do in this series. Can you all see the, the whiteboard? Okay, great. Um, the first is what we're wanting to make believers into thinkers. And uh, you'll remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, To us Christians, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. That our faith as Christians, far from being unintellectual, has a reason. We have facts. We have evidence. We have things that work in this world that point to God. And we have a reason for the hope that we believe. So we want to help us as a church, as those who have already come to a place of faith, move from just being believers to also to being thinkers. Right? But also for those of us who've joined us for this series, we also want to make thinkers into believers. In other words, can I say this morning that the Christian faith is not afraid of thinkers. In actual fact, if you want to become a Christian, the very first thing God asks of you is that you have to have an open mind. In actual fact, he's saying through being reasoned with, we have to change our minds, and that's the word called repentance. Did you ever think about that? The very first thing God asks you to do if you want to come into faith is that you have to use your mind. And the greatest command God gives us in the scriptures that we hold to as a church is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So, so far from Christians being unintellectual, we actually call to love God. And a part of loving God is using our minds, these amazing gray matter that he's given us. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, you can uh, flip to the next one. That's, <laughs> that's me. Studying pharmacy, yes. So um, I, uh, I'm a qualified pharmacist, and it's not the most uh, proud moments of fashion in my life. But um, I wonder, if, would you like us, can you see at the back there, would you like the lights on or off? Can you all see at the back there? Let's just see. You don't have to look at my face. Please don't look at that one. Okay. So part of the old-fashioned words for pharmacist is a chemist, right? I used to work here in Greenfields Pharmacy. You say, oh, you're still working at the chemist. Well, it's an appropriate term. A pharmacist doesn't really describe what we do. We actually do four years of all the major disciplines of chemistry. And um, we had some really good discussions about the question that we're talking about today, which is, does science and evolution contradict Christianity? And we had a big debate in our biochemistry class. And uh, it's something which I found quite fascinating. And uh, I'm very aware that there might be a lot more clever people here this morning. Okay, So if you've got questions afterwards, please uh, come but hear me out. And if you want to take notes, don't worry about it. You can get these on our Facebook page, or you can ask them for me, from me afterwards. So just pay attention, enjoy the riot, and uh, we wanted to see how uh, persuasive we can be on this topic today of does science and evolution contradict Christianity. So, next slide. Wow, there have been some adjustments to this text, and I know why. I did not load the text onto uh, the, the font. Don't worry. I think we can make some uh, use of it. This is why we do it. So last week... Joe said, uh, dealt with the question, can we, how can we be sure God exists? And uh, there were two arguments for God's existence. The first one, and they're both important for today's question, is, is the existence of the universe itself. And we said, uh, scientists, generally, you're in the minority if you don't agree with this, that the universe had a beginning. They call it the Big Bang. And uh, what's amazing about this is we said that last week, every beginning must have a cause, Right? And we said the universe is made up of matter, of physical energy, of space and time. 
And something had to be beyond that in order to be able to have created that. In other words, something had to be beyond space and matter and time and physical energy. And Joe said, quite rightly, that sounds a lot like God, right? But the second one, which is also part of what we're going to talk about today, is the just-so universe, where this universe, it displays incredible design. Joe said 50 interdependent constants need to be in place for life to be made possible. 50. And if one of them are just slightly out, life wouldn't be possible. And if the evidence points to a designer, in other words, that this fine-tuning of the universe, it's so specific to life that not only must there have been a God, but he must have been highly intelligent. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So next slide. This we're going to look at, does science and evolution contradict Christianity? Now I'm going to start off a little bit slowly, but we'll pick up pace near the end. As not everybody here has studied science, and you don't need to have done so to be able to grasp the, the arguments. But I'll tell you what, studying pharmacy, there was this feel that if I was a scientist and an intellectual person, how could I possibly be one of faith? Anybody ever heard that? That if you actually use your brain, how can you be a person of faith? You have to switch off your brain in order to be someone who comes to faith. And there's this popular assumption that science and evolution contradict or are incompatible with faith. And the reason for that is this is that the theory of evolution claims, or people seem to think, that it can explain, previous slide, can explain what, what the origin or where the origin of life comes from. And this is the guy who thought of this theory in the first place. His name was Charles Darwin. And guys looked to him and his theory as evidence or proof for explaining away the existence of God. That's important. People think that if you believe in evolution, you've explained away the origin of life, which means you've explained away the existence of God. Are you with me so far? Well done. You'll get your doctorate at the end. So this guy wrote a book, and it has a powerful uh, statement. He called it the origin of species. Now, that's a big statement to make. In other words, his title implies he's explained where life comes from. Next slide. And his theory was as follows. He said every successive life form, every successive organism, living organism in the world, had to come from a previously more primitive organism. So if you look at <laughs> the display here, starting with the monkey to the stone, hunting with a stone to a spear, and what ladies call shopping should be called hunting in our day, right? We've become so advanced much more than our previous, pre, previous predecessors who were so primitive, now we shop. When we, we, now we call that hunt, hunting is called shopping. And uh, what's important to note here is Darwin's theory says this. If you trace all the way back in time, you should come to the very first ancestral organism from which all life came from. One single cell produced all these wonderful species that we look at in the world around us. Next slide. Now, there's some things you need to know about that actually scientists all agree with some aspects of evolution. What they agree on is that living things can adapt and change over time to their environment. Nobody argues that. And part of Darwin's theory, next slide, is this theory or an example of it, of when he was studying in the Galapagos Islands, which are these beautiful islands in the Pacific Ocean, he noticed that within the species of finches, these little birds, 
they had different beaks, and based on where they were in the island, so for instance, if you had to live a fruit on that specific island, the ones that survived and thrived were the ones that had the right beak for fruit. If it was grubs or little uh, worms, this finch survived on that island and, and thrived. And all the others that didn't have the correct beak died off. They called that natural selection. So it was the survival of the fittest. Have you ever heard of that? The one who had the best sort of uh, beak was able to survive in the right sort of environment. They adapted to their environment through natural selection. And that's what you call microevolution. Micro means small which means within a species we see changes that enable them to survive and adapt to their environment. However, next slide, is this. Is Darwin looked at microevolution, this change within species, and he made a big leap. He said, right, if there can be these changes within these little species, in the same species, then surely there can be change within multiple species, macroevolution. Have anybody, anybody here shopped at macro in PE? It's enormous, right? It means big. In other words, Darwin said if there can be changes within species, then species can change into other species. You with me? Macroevolution means not only can a beak change in a finch, a finch can maybe be formed into an owl or an eagle. Totally different species, like they tell of us, that a monkey can become a human. You with me so far? That's macroevolution. However... There's not much evidence for macroevolution. Most of Darwin's theory points or works from microevolution proving macroevolution. Next slide. That's probably the most technical information you'll have to master so far. You're with me. I'm impressed. Well done. You can quit me afterwards. So... If we look at this theory of evolution, remember that this theory of evolution is big in science because it claims to explain the origin of life. That's what the real claim of it is. But if you examine this theory of evolution, there are three missing pieces to its puzzle. The first is, is that the theory of evolution cannot explain the formation of the universe. In other words... Where did the raw material, the carbon and the, the iron and the zinc, these raw matter material, where did it come from? It can't explain the origins of the universe. In other words, how did all this matter that enabled evolution for you to be a bunch of carbon and H2O water, it can't explain where all that matter comes from. That's the first missing piece. Darwin just assumes it's always there or implies it's been there. He never explains the existence of the universe like Joe mentioned last week. The second puzzle piece is out of this dead matter. How did life spontaneously come? Have you ever thought about that? Even if this matter existed, how did the first life form spontaneously come out of what was dead? And the third missing puzzle piece is, how did this encoding of complex information called DNA, which we'll get to in a moment, in order for life to exist, the simplest cell, the amount of information that's needed in a simple cell is enormous. And how that spontaneously happened, evolutionists cannot, cannot explain. Even atheist evolutionists cannot explain these three missing puzzle pieces. So let's look at them in just a bit of detail. First puzzle piece is the formation of the universe. Back one, please. Back one. No, no one. Okay, the first is this. 
if evolution was, pos was possible, it has to have something to work with, right? If I'm a sculptor and I want to make a pot, I need to take some clay, but the clay has to exist in order for me to make the pot, not so? And what evolutionists basically imply, it's like declaring, by not explaining the, the, where this universe comes from, it's like declaring, Mark Mittelberg says, in the beginning, the stuff was already here, the heavens and the earth, and the stuff rattled around, bumping into itself, and over tons of time, it ultimately got its act together, randomly, without cause or purpose, or outside help of any kind, it arranged itself into exact elements and order necessary to cause self-replicating and upwardly evolving Life to suddenly leap into existence. So we're using a different operating system here, so it's a bit, uh, but I must just remember this next time. Next slide. So in other words, evolutionists make a big assumption. They simply assume the earth and the universe came into existence somehow, but they won't nail their colors to the mask of saying, who put it there? And all of science, basically, you're in the minority if you're not a scientist, will say the universe spontaneously, cataclysmically, suddenly exploded into life. They call it the Big Bang. And although scientists name it, they refuse to be able to nail their colors to the mask on how to explain it. And the world-leading observational cosmologist Alan Sandage said, the Big Bang was a supernatural event that cannot be explained within the realm of physics as we know it. And so, this morning, you need to know evolution cannot explain the origin of the universe. In actual fact, evolution, even if it's 100% correct, cannot exist without the existence of God. You with me? God had to make the raw material in order for evolution to be possible. And so the first thing you need to know, the missing puzzle piece is it cannot explain away the existence of God. Next puzzle piece. The origin of the first life form, this for me is incredible, is how did life spontaneously come from a random bunch of dead matter, as evolutionists claim? What's a blessing about being born and living in 2018 is that there's been decades of science. And instead of science proving evolution, what we're seeing increasingly as we study creation is that in actual fact it's pointing in the opposite direction to what Darwin said. And the biochemist, biochemist Klaus Dose, he said, for more than 30 years of experimentation on the origin of life in the fields of chemical and molecular evolution have led to a better perception listen to these words, of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on earth rather than its solution. At present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in stalemate or in a confession of ignorance. And there's two big evidences pointing towards Darwin's theory being on shaky ground. The scientists who study fossils, what they do is they dig down deep into the earth and they look at, and as you go deeper, deeper, that you see how the earth ages. And all of a sudden, in their findings, there's something called the Cumbrian explosion. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, as they're examining the ages of the earth, all this bacteria is just suddenly it's blasted forth into life. They call it the Cumbrian explosion. And as they examine the fossils, they cannot find simpler more primitive organisms than the single-cell bacteria. 
it just suddenly shows up on the, on the radar and they can't explain why. The Cumbrian explosion and fossil records show that there isn't actually a simpler, more primitive life form than a single cell bacteria. They can't find it. The second is, which is for me is amazing, what the chance would take for a random protein, I mean, if you don't understand this, I'm going to do my best to unpack it to you. A single little protein, your hair is made up of thousands and thousands and thousands of proteins, some curly proteins, some not. Do you know that for a single protein to form, Courtney's laughing, yes, you've got lots of protein in your hair, my friend. For a single protein to spontaneously form, it's made up of these little building blocks called amino acids. Have you ever heard of amino acids? They're like little bricks. And then you get a right-handed amino acid and you get a left-handed amino acid. In order for protein to form, left-handed amino acids only have to fall perfectly in place randomly to form a bond for a chain to make one little protein. Now, do you know what the chances of that happening are? Next slide. The probability of a left-handed amino acid falling perfectly into place to form a protein is one chance in a trillion, 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 125 zeros chance of happening. Now, how, how many of you here bet? Don't, don't put up your hand. Maybe, maybe you should put up your hand. We'll chat afterwards. But if you're a betting guy, like Mark Mittelberg says, you wouldn't bet against those odds, right? Do you know how much protein you need to make one single cell? 300 to 500. In other words, this basically improbable, and we can say scientifically impossible chance is just for one protein. This needs to happen 300 to 500 times for a cell to form. Isn't that incredible? It's impossible. So, not only does evolution not explain away the existence of God, it also requires a designer to be in place that somehow designed life from a single cell upwards that just exploded onto the planet. Because the probabilities of this happening randomly, it's impossible. Last one. The third missing puzzle piece. Oh, this is my favorite. The encoding of information. In order for evolution to be possible, there needs to be vast amounts of complex information available for even the simplest organism to live. One of the great breakthroughs of our modern science is there was a guy called Francis Collins and his team that mapped our DNA. Our DNA is 300 billion, sorry, is 3 billion letters long. Just think about that for a moment. If you had to read that at three letters a second, it would take you 31 years. And yet, this is necessary for the simplest life to form. And evolutionists cannot explain how this complexity of three billion for the human alone, that doesn't mean every other species, just the three billion letters of the human DNA, for it to be able to come into existence in the first place and then advance into different species, it is virtually impossible. I'm saying virtually because scientifically there's still a one chance in a trillion, 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 which basically means impossible. So, so before you flip... Maybe flip to the next slide. Yeah. In summary, where does it leave us with evolution and science 
is firstly, only a supernatural event, a miracle of God can explain the universe's existence. Evolution can't. Didn't you find that surprising? I did. Secondly, science and evolution cannot offer any real answers to the origin of life. Evidence points to a designer. Far from it being a random event, is that there are certain designed elements into creation which enables life. And the third is science and evolution cannot explain the encoding of complex information. Evidence points not only to just a designer, but a vastly, vastly superior intellectual designer who was able to pull this all together. Next slide. So where does that leave us with science, evolution, and the Bible? This is the question which you might have come with today, is how does science and evolution fit in with what the Christians hold to called the Scriptures, or the Word of God? Can I say to you this morning that within Bible-believing churches, Christians, there are different positions on how creation came into being, the first two chapters of our Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. But all of them hold to faith in Jesus. None of them stop faith. And I will say to you this morning, I'll put myself out there a bit, I don't hold to creation being in six 24 hours. And I'm not the first to say that. St. Augustine did 1,700 years ago. If you read your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, it's, it's very clear what Moses was recording was not literal. He was not saying that in 24 hours these, th- these different aspects of creation were made because, do you know, it was only on day four that the sun and moon were made. How do you calculate 24 hours before the sun was made? How about this? God planted a garden and out of it grew plants. Do you know how long it takes for a plant to grow? Decades. Or my favorite is when Adam's told to count or to name all the animals. Do you know how many animals there are? It took more than a day. I don't know how efficient he was. He could have had all the computer technology he liked. He would still not be able to compute all the names of the animals in the day. And when Eve comes along, this is my best part. When Eve comes along, he goes, at last, at last, here is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. If Adam just had to wait 24 hours, do you think he would have a reaction like that? Let me tell you, if my wife had 24 hours off from kids and me, it would be a holiday. She would not be going, at last, you're back. She's going, just give me another eight hours on my own. What's God telling us here? He's saying that, guys, the Bible is not a scientific book. What do I mean by that? Is that Genesis 1 and 2 is not trying to portray with scientific accuracy how the earth was made. What it's trying to do is take you and me, natural people, and explain supernatural events in a way that we can understand. Let me tell you, as a science-trained person, science only goes as far as nature. And so when Scripture starts to unpack what the supernatural acts of God are, it has to move to picture because our minds can't comprehend it. You with me? And every time Scripture talks about supernatural stuff, it gets more and more picture language, like Revelation. Every time you see the supernatural coming of the heavens and the earth, the new heaven and the new earth, the Bible becomes more and more pictorial because for us, nature-wise, natural people, to grasp the supernatural, it is so difficult, and Scripture wants to reach us at our levels. And so can I say to you this morning, if you are a scientist, you do not need to go through two conversions. You don't have to change your scientific mind about evolution in order to come to faith in Christ. 
if you proved categorically to me that evolution is true, which I'm skeptical of because I don't see macroevolution coming from microevolution, if you follow my thought. But even if you prove to me, see, here, Matt, here is the ape from which the human came, and it was indisputable, it would not change any aspect of my faith. Because it doesn't explain away the existence of God. It doesn't explain the fact that there needed to be a designer for life to come. It doesn't explain the fact that there needed to be an intelligent designer, not just a designer that was sort of like the force, you know, let the force be with you, and whatever tension of the force. No, no, this God, this God made, what, however the distance was between me and the beginning, doesn't explain God away. It doesn't explain his incredible impact on forming creation. No, no, the Bible even gives leeway for vast amounts of time to take place so that we have the, the creation we have today. Oh, man, I want to tell you today, guys, even if you, believe in evolution, which I don't, I need a little bit of it, but even if you proved it to me, you can still be a Christian. The church has done such a bad job of saying, if you are an evolutionist, you have to go through two conversions. You first have to change your mind about evolution, and then you can change your mind about Jesus. No, no. You can come to faith in Christ. You don't have to first change your scientific view. So, next one. Where does that leave us? If God exists, where does that leave me? Well, this is what I want to challenge you with this morning. If there is an intelligent God behind the miracle of creation who has designed the universe with such care, do you not think he has a design for your life? If creation has such purpose that he made everything to such design, don't you think there's a purpose for your life being here? If he can code three billion letters for a single cell for the human genome, don't you think that he can work out why you need to be here at such a time and such a place for such a purpose? My friend, your life is not here because you randomly rocked up. The designer decided you would be born. I don't care how long you want to trace that back or if it's just the other day. You were handpicked and designed. No one has your fingerprints. No one has your DNA code. You are here by design. That means that you're here for purpose. Do you believe that this morning? The second is this, if he is an intelligent being, do you not think he can be known, communicated with and experienced if God could make Alyssa and Joe to be in relationship with each other? Let me move it back a little bit. My wife's an artist, a very good artist. I can see a little bit of Marina in what she's made, her colors that she likes, the sort of style that she paints with. I don't know her personally, but I get an inclination of what she's like through what she's made. Don't you think if God can create people with personality, don't you think he can be a personal God? Don't you think creation, even a, a group of monkeys, I was watching them on, on, on holiday, I think it was last year in Crawford Nature Reserve. This, these monkeys, they're so relational. They're playing with each other. The parents are loving the kids. They're all in a, in a troop. There's a relational aspect to creation. Don't you think you, God is relational if you see relationships in creation? If he's so intelligent, don't you think he can be known? Don't you think he can communicate? Ah, so my challenge to you this morning is, are you willing, are you willing, in light of scientific evidence, are you willing to make the effort to know him? Can I ask you this morning, if God is the reason why you're here, don't you think the most important quest of your life is to know the one who made you?
You won't find answers anywhere else except in the God that handpicked and designed you. And so the last slide today is this. How does faith, this aspect that seems so unintellectual, this faith that means I've got to respond to something that I don't necessarily have all the facts for, how does faith fit into science? Well, can I just argue with you a little bit in a nice way this morning? Is that if God, listen to this, if God is beyond the universe, that's what Joe said last week, surely we cannot know him through the study of science and nature. How can, how can the study of nature and what is natural help you understand what is supernatural? Are you with me? These scientists, they say there's a realm they cannot go further beyond because nature can only take them to the natural. Oh, but if you want to know God, how does somebody who's natural understand something that is supernatural? Without help from the one who's supernatural. Without the supernatural God stepping in and saying, I am going to reveal myself to you in a way you can understand because you can't find me by studying of what I've made. No, no. Studying of what I've made will not lead you to the one who made it. He's separate from what he's made. And this thing of supernatural help, it's called revelation. God has to reveal himself. The supernatural has to be revealed to the natural in order for the natural to understand it. And so faith is this. Faith is recognizing that unless I get help from God in understanding who He is, I can't find Him. I have to receive the way He comes to me. I have to receive that revelation. And faith is saying, I believe, I believe that the revelation that God is showing me is correct and authoritative of my life. Are you with me so far? Is this revelation you are saying, it's true. It's true. It has authority of my life. I submit to it. Ah, well, the last point for today is saying, well, Matt, many religions claim to have many revelations. Not so? You've got Hindus, Islam, all these guys claiming to have revelations from God, saying, believe me, why should I believe in the revelation of Jesus Christ? Why should I believe the gospel, the good news of the church proclaimed, which is Jesus Christ? As Joe said, we believe he is the revelation of, of God the Father. Well, you might be surprised at my answer, but my answer is come and see. You know, when you read about the stories of Jesus, when people met him, for instance, his earliest disciples, when they met Jesus, their testimony was, guys, come and see. Come and see this man that changed my life, who told me everything about me. There was a woman at a well. When she met Jesus, she ran back into her village and she said, come and meet the one who changed my life. He told me everything about my life. She said, come and see. And those who came and had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, they believed. They believed. And can I say to you this morning, I'm a scientist by training. Let me tell you, it has not diminished my faith. It has increased it. I am with a bunch of these guys here this morning saying, Christ has encountered me, the revelation of God, and I've changed. Come and see. Come and see. I ask you, what have you got to lose this morning? If this revelation of Christ is correct, and he is the one through whom we receive eternal life and an understanding of God and a relationship with God in heaven. Let me tell you, you've got nothing to lose. And there's been thousands of years of what we call testimonies of saying, in my life, 
Christ is real. Come and see. But it's going to require something. Remember I said to you in the beginning, you have to be open-minded. Far from shutting off your mind, I hope you can see that this thing of the gospel that we're talking about, it has a foundation. Not only in our experience, but in science of saying there is a God. He can be known. Come know him through Jesus Christ. And if you'll come authentically, earnestly, openly, and say, God, if you exist, I'm willing to receive you as you've chosen to reveal yourself in Jesus, I believe. God's word says he will prove himself to you. The word of the Lord proves true, the psalmist says. There are many people here, including myself, who've realized what God says about us is true. What he says, the way we look, it works in practice. The, the more I've pursued Jesus, the more I've experienced this thing of called, what's called life. I'm persuaded. Come and see. I'm going to ask us to close our eyes. And I'm going, to, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to help us this morning respond to the Lord. And the first response is, it might be a bit surprising for those of you who've come to faith in Christ as a Christian. That last point of saying, are you willing to put in the effort to know him? You know, we get a bit lazy as Christians. Where we get familiar with the blessing of having a relationship with God. This morning, I want to spur you on and say, God is the most important thing in your life. It's not the car you drive or the house you live in. That's going to be fading away. We're on track to meet the one who's come after us. This is our greatest privilege, is to live and to seek the Lord. But for those of you here this morning who want to come to faith in Christ, and you want to say, you know what? I'm open. I'm open to changing my mind. I'm open to being persuaded by Jesus. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray, Father, for those this morning here who for the first time have maybe seen that science doesn't put you out of a job except instead it points to you. I pray today, Lord, that you would draw them in. If you're here this morning, that's you. Christ is here for you. But it requires you to stretch out a hand of faith to grab hold of him with your heart. That's you. I want to help you pray this morning. This might be the first time you talk to Jesus, but I want to help you do it. I want you to say, Jesus, you know where I've been. You know what I've done. You're the God of creation. Would you say that to him? And then would you say to him, Jesus, I'm asking you for mercy. Would you show me who you are? I want to know you.
Would you say that to him? Would you save me? Would you rescue me? I believe you existed. Even if you say, I'm willing to believe you existed. I'm willing to believe you died on the cross for my sin. Would you save me? Even if you don't understand all of those words, would you do it with faith? So would you save me? Would you say, Jesus, I want to live for you. Show me who you are. Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. Show me who you are. Would you say that to him? And if that's you, I want to challenge you to come to the front after the service. Come speak to one of us here. We need to help you in this journey of discovering more of Christ and who he is. But Lord, for those of us this morning, thank you. You made us. Thank you. We can know you. And thank you that you're for us, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.